Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to this as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. And I pray that you will find this all of those. Through this program, we are excited to be connecting you to people in and stories about Israel to give you a window to look through about aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. That's inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. And send along any questions about any topics, anytime. You can also connect with us at the Genesis 123 Foundation website, genesis123.co. Feel free to share this, of course, with other people who you know will find it of interest. I'm really pleased to introduce today's guest and topic, um, Josh Haston. I've known Josh since, gosh, I, I can remember the first time we met. You were sitting downtown in an office, I think, working for the Jerusalem Post in, in Manhattan. And I don't know what hat I was wearing at the time, but we're probably going back 25 years or so. And, uh, and Josh, it was a couple of years ahead, ahead of me coming to Israel. He's been in Israel since 2002. He's a native of Indianapolis, Indiana. And he's been, since before making Aliyah and since in 2002, he's been at the forefront of Israel's public diplomacy efforts. Josh is known for his special emphasis on sharing the beauty of the land of Israel and its people and stresses getting out the truth about life in Judea and Samaria, along with aspects of the rest of the country. Josh is currently the international spokesman for Gush Etzion, the region south of Jerusalem in which we both live, that's rich in biblical and modern history of the state and people of Israel. He's the host of a weekly radio program called Israel Uncensored, hosted on the Land of Israel Network. And is, uh, in addition to his broadcast media, Josh is also a well-known and award-winning uh, freelance journalist. He writes regularly for the JNS News and other publications. He's also a sought-after af- sought guest for television interviews on current events in Israel, having appeared on CNN, BBC, Sky News, APTV, I-24, and makes regular appearances on ILTV's weekly debate uh, program called Frenemies. For the past decade, Josh has been active in media training, public relations, and public speaking to impress upon pro-Israel advocates around the world about the power of the pen and inspiring and showing them how all it takes is passion for a cause to overcome challenges and make a difference. Some of Josh's clients over the years have included Regavim, the Hatzala of Judea and Samaria, the Zionist Organization of America, the Hezri Yeshiva in Sterot, the Benjamin Regional Council, the JCC of Rockland uh, County in New York, La Crosse Israel, Eish HaTorah, and many more. In 2009, Josh uh, was honored by camera at their annual dinner in New York with their prestigious Letter Writer of the Year Award in the presence of 400 of Israel's top advocates and supporters around the world, including at the time, Senator Joseph Lieberman and Israel's ambassador to the United States, Michael Oren. In addition to letter writing and articles for which he's acclaimed, Josh is also the author of an acclaimed children's book, Itamar Makes Friends, A Story of Jewish Brotherhood. And in his free time, Josh is a uh, big Indianapolis Colts and Pacers fan. He likes to play American football and, and, and basketball. 
here in Israel and lives with his family here in Gush Etzion. Josh, that's a lot. Wow, I, I, I forgot. I, I know how impressive you are, but that's a, as I was reading it, I'm becoming even more impressed. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for that kind introduction, Jonathan. Welcome. It's, I'm really glad to have you. You know, when, when we started this podcast a few months ago, you were on, literally on my short list of people that I wanted to have an opportunity to have a conversation with and introduce you to the Christian world with which I'm interacting, but waiting for the right time. And this really has, um, has uh, set it up. And we're, we're broadcasting this on the eve of what's supposed to be uh, the, the passing of a state budget in Israel, which is not our topic but which is significant because of the uh, diplomatic issues uh, that are at hand. And, and the topic we're going to be discussing today is the United States issue, interest and, 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 and pushing even to reopen a consulate here in Jerusalem for the Palestinian Authority. Um, it's an important topic that's central to Jews and Christians both because of our common history and Jerusalem at present as the fulfillment of that biblical prophecy, and in which we all know that the kings and prophets and Jesus preached and 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 lived and and taught, and and this is this is central to all of us. Um, I'm I'm so glad uh, for you here, and despite the picture behind me, I just want to share one one more thing. Um, today, I'm broadcasting from the 21st floor executive lounge at the Vert Hotel. For those of you familiar with Jerusalem. The Vert Hotel is the rebranded uh, Crown Plaza at the entrance to the city across from the main train station and bus station next to the main convention center. I want to tell you, since the rebranding and renovation, the hotel is magnificent. The, the service is great. And the views up on the top of the 21st floor are absolutely stunning. And I hope that people will get to, uh, to come back and join us. Um, so, Josh, we're uh, at the risk of overstating uh, something that we all know as Jews and Christians that Jerusalem is and has been at the heart uh, and center of the Jewish people for 3,000 years, over 3,000 years, since King David established it as his capital. Um, why, is this, uh, why is this a hot topic in, in the foundation of our shared biblical tradition? First of all, I just want to say that I'm also here in Jerusalem this morning. I am sitting um, right outside the walls of the old city. So I'm only several, several kilometers away from where you're sitting, but I'm a little bit closer here to the, the Temple Mount, which is Judaism's holiest site. And that's really one of the main issues when you're talking about something here thousands of years later, and that is uh, the potential of the reopening or the opening of a consulate for the Palestinian Authority uh, about two minutes a walk, uh, two minute walk away from where I'm sitting here, nice. uh, in the western side of the city, and um, I actually, you know, knowing I was coming on this podcast, uh, I did not even tell you several days ago. I was actually on Wednesday, as uh, in my capacity as a journalist, I was covering a demonstration. Um, about twenty organizations gathered together outside of that structure, the building behind you, the old consulate, in order to protest uh, a potential Biden administration opening uh, or, or reopening of that building. And we have to be clear here. Um, there was never a, uh, a consulate for the Palestinian Authority in Jerusalem. The consulate was established, I think it was back in 1844. This was the American presence 
at that time, it was part of the Ottoman Empire. Right. And later, this area was under the British mandate. But we say reopening, but there, people need to understand there was never an actual specific diplomatic, um, exclusive diplomatic uh, building at that uh, or, uh, you know, at that facility, uh, uh, a consulate for the so-called Palestinians. And we can get into the whole, you know, talk about what is a Palestinian and what is an right. Arab and, and that whole that whole situation. But what the Biden administration essentially wants to do now is establish a foreign uh, a presence for a foreign entity in Israel's undivided capital. And that's why this is a major news item. People, I think, don't understand or not stressing the importance of this enough. I think people now are starting to wake up that the symbolism behind potentially opening a Palestinian authority, uh, which is unprecedented in the world. No other capital city has a consulate or diplomatic mission in its capital for a foreign entity that doesn't exist in the world. This would be an unprecedented move. Essentially, what the Biden administration is trying to do, and again, a lot of those who are demonstrating on Wednesday conveyed this message to me. This is essentially what the Biden administration is saying, is that they would like to divide the city of Jerusalem. Um, and this is the first step in that in that process. It's basically saying to the Palestinian Authority, we are going to give you a we're going to give you a stronghold in the city of Jerusalem. And once you have that stronghold, then they will then in effect have leverage uh, to claim parts of the city. The Trump administration several years ago took the uh, unprecedented but legal step, based on a decision by Congress back in 1995, um, to declare. Jerusalem is the capital of the state of Israel. Uh, the Trump administration moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, which actually was required by that law back in 1995. And successive presidents kept pushing it off. And the president of the United States finally did that. So they're trying to undo, uh, whether it's a personal attack on President Trump right. administration, whether it's a slight against the state of Israel and the current policies of, of our government, our administration, they're trying to under, undo all the progress that Trump did by declaring Israel as the undivided capital of the state of Israel, moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and closing, which was a consulate, basically for consular services, which was uh, independent of that embassy. And what you know, based on Mike Pompeo's uh, advice, Trump consolidated those two into the embassy. The consulate and embassy became the embassy, and they moved into a building in, in Jerusalem. And, you know, they want to create this new exclusive entity, yeah. which never existed before, exclusive to the Palestinian Authority to serve as a, a stronghold uh, for the PA um, in Jerusalem. And, you know, people talk about Western and Eastern Jerusalem. This actually happens to be in Western Jerusalem, this building on Agron Street. Which is even more significant because yeah. we talk about it, even those who would be prepared to create a, a, a capital for a, a, the Palestinian Authority or a state of Palestine in the eastern half of Jerusalem, um, the building that we're talking about that is owned by the United States is in the center of western Jerusalem, prime real estate. It's, it's, it's walking, it's a, a, a minute and a half walk to the great synagogue, right? It's a, it, it's a five-minute walk to the president's resi- uh, prime minister's residence. We're talking about the center of Jerusalem, and that, that, that adds, I think, or underscores the, um, the, the schizophrenia uh, you, you, you've given a tremendous overview and I want to be, I want to reverse a little bit and unpack sure. it because as you were saying something, uh, I, I saw that, um, 
the 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 uh, demonstration that you were at. I believe it's it's now going to be a weekly activity yes. because this is an issue, which is why we're speaking about it. That uh, that that is and needs to stay in the agenda. We're also going to be preparing a way for our Christian friends around the world to express themselves. Not to, because if you can't be here in Jerusalem to demonstrate in front of this building, and by the way, for those listening on a podcast, you can't see the picture of the building behind me. We're using Zoom for this uh, for the recording. Uh, but I have a picture of the U.S. consulate, and as Josh said, a former U.S. consulate, and as Josh said, this is a, a property that the U.S. has owned since the ni- 1840s, uh, 150 years. Um, but but you raise the point that, at, at the risk of forgetting it. It's so important, even before we begin unpacking. Unpacking, you and I are here long enough that you must remember when we needed consular services. We're both American citizens as well. We had to go to this really small awkward building on a one-way street in uh, in a neighborhood of eastern Jerusalem that did service not just Palestinian Arabs, but us as well as Israeli Jews living over the Green Line, living in Judea and Samaria. And now what they're talking about is creating an entity that's not for people over the Green Line where they don't necessarily recognize it as as the state of Israel proper, but an entity, this is what has to be underscored, an entity for the Palestinian Authority, in a territory that has nothing to do with them. Right. And, and what's very important is that we're not talking about just, you know, a building to come and renew your passports. As you mentioned, they had such a facility uh, as one of the consular buildings on the eastern side of the city for Jews and Arabs and everyone to gather in order to take care of business, social security cards, yeah. reports of birth. Yep. This structure is not a, this would not be a place where you simply come to renew your passport. This would be uh, an independent diplomatic mission. And also very important to stress is that uh, that, that mission uh, would not report to the uh, American ambassador to Israel. He wouldn't report to the embassy. He would have a direct line to the State Department. Correct. It just shows you that, you know, we are talking about basically an independent diplomatic mission to Israel with no connection to the American ambassador to Israel. He would be talking directly to the State Department as if the Palestinian Authority uh, already had a state and already had a representative here in Jerusalem. The symbolism is, is the symbolism and also the practicality of, you know, what such an entity would become is extremely frightening. Now, this is also, we need to point out, this is also illegal under international law. It's illegal under American law and Israeli law for a foreign entity to come in. Um, and, if, you know, even if they're a close ally, a friend like the United States and establish a presence for a third party, it's illegal. It can't be done. And we saw over the last couple of days, if you've been following the news, uh, there was a State Department official who actually admitted just right. now, I think on Thursday or Friday, that he would need, the U.S. would need Israel's permission to do so. Correct. And that's why some people are saying, even though these demonstrations are taking place outside the former U.S. consulate, that the pressure really should be on the Naftali Bennett government to stand firm yes. and say to our good friends in the United States, we appreciate you, we thank you for everything, our close relationship and everything you've done for us over the years. Um, but on this issue, we are going to have to say, no. So there were some voices when I was reporting on Wednesday who said, yes, we are here outside of the US, former U.S. consulate, but our real focus should be on the Israeli sure. administration saying to them, no, don't let this happen because legally, the line. Yeah, unless you say 
uh, yes, it cannot legally come uh, come to be. Right. Techn- well, technically, that's the case, and 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 Israel can draw the line in the sand and say no, we're not we're not allowing it. And I, I want to uh, come to that, but I think I, uh, uh, it's it's a very important point to have a, a a public appeal here in Israel to the Israeli leaders not to blur that line, not to erase that line. But on the other hand, it's quite offensive for the United States to come to to Israel, sovereign Israel. It would be almost like Israel or any other country going in, and, and you could even make a stronger case for this, going to set up an embassy in Washington to the Native American tribes that used to um, used to be there. They were actually Native Americans, right? They were, they, 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 and, and they were displaced. And, 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 and maybe that's not a great example, but as you said, I think there's no precedent. It's not legal, but there's no precedent ever in the world, as far as I know, of any country establishing an embassy or a diplomatic entity in the capital of a third country to another party. It just it doesn't, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist and it, and it doesn't make sense. It doesn't it's, make sense. It's offensive. Let, let, let's, let, let, just, I want to reverse a little bit. When we talk about Jerusalem, you and I are both Orthodox Jews. We've, we attend a lot of Jewish weddings where uh, typically at the end of the wedding, the, the, the groom will stomp, stomp on a glass and remind us that in our lives, as, as, as elated as one might be on the, at the height of their joy on, on the wedding, we recite the psalm, we sing the psalm, that, that um, I can't, if, I, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, at my right, right hand, lose its, uh, lose its strength. Um, Jerusalem is the center of our lives, the center of our hearts for 3,000 years. What can you give, give me a when I when we speak of Jerusalem to you, Josh Haston, you happen to be sitting in Jerusalem at the moment, but we think of Jerusalem. What's the biblical anchor for you as an Orthodox Israeli Jew? Yeah, so I mean, again, uh, I mentioned this before. I mean, the Temple Mount is the is the holiest site in all of Judaism, Judaism, and it all goes back to uh, the Book of Genesis, the chapters that we've been reading over the last couple of weeks of Abraham being told by God to leave his homeland. And to go to the land which he will uh, present to him, and that is the land of Israel. It's clear as day in the Bible. The uh, story of Abraham going up to the Temple Mount, uh, commanded by God to sacrifice his son Isaac. You know that's a story from the Temple Mount, which is again just a few kilometers from where I'm sitting right here. So it all goes back to that. It all goes back to that story. I mean, these are the origins of of monotheism the origins of, of humanity, the, the origins of the state of Israel going back for thousands of years. You know, we reestablished the state of Israel in 1948 and the Jewish presence here. But, you know, we've been longing to come back uh, for over 2000 years. You mentioned Jerusalem for over 3000 years. Um, uh, you can you can take it from the interpretations on the Bible. You know, even I was just reading here, I have a, a piece of paper here. I was reading about the 70 names of Jerusalem and yeah. the origins of that. And we were reading about one of the names is comes from a interpretation from Abraham who uh, made uh, uh, peace with the Canaanite king uh, whose name was Malkitzedek, who was a, a righteous king living in this area of a city called Shalem, Yerushalayim, um, Shalem. That was the name of his city. And then you throw in um, the other part of the verse where the interpretation says that God referred to this area, uh, Adonai, God's name, Yireh, Hashem, or God will see. He will see Shalem. He will see Jerusalem. He will see 
a city at peace. And that's the name of combining the two, Yeru and Shalim. Shalem right. all the way back from what we're reading right now in the Bible. It's, it's you know, there are no coincidences. This is the stuff we're reading right now, the chapters we are reading, the verses. We just, you know, uh, had the first purchase, official purchase of land in, uh, in Israel by Abraham. He bought a burial plot for his wife, Sarah, in the town of the city of Hebron, Hebron, which is just about 35, 40 kilometers south here of Jerusalem. Um, but, you know, you mentioned King David eventually moved Israel's capital from Hebron to Jerusalem. Correct. But the roots, the roots of the city and the connection of the Jewish people go even further back, all the way back to Abraham. And the fact that this was uh, the place where uh, that was deemed by God to be the holiest site in all of Judaism, the sure. sacrifice of Isaac, the dream we're going to read about of Jacob coming up here. A lot of the people, uh, commentators say that that also happened on the Temple Mount. Um, so here you have the foundations of, of monotheism are here in this city, uh, in, uh, in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. And, you know, here we are, thank God, uh, 3000 years later, and we're still, we're here. I mean, we were, go- we were yeah. gone for a while for the most part during the exiles and we came back. And now we have the modern state of Israel. And unfortunately, tying this back to the embassy, there are those who are once again trying to divide the city. And right. it's been, honestly, it's been, I think, in my opinion, it's been subtle now in terms of the Biden administration moves. There are a lot of other things going on in the world, whether it's uh, the pandemic, whether it's other uh, domestic issues in the U.S. Uh-huh. But unfortunately, every when I record my podcast on Mondays, I check the news on Sundays, and it seems that more and more we're seeing the U.S. administration and the Israeli administration butting heads on certain issues, whether it's building homes and playgrounds in Judea and Samaria, um, whether it's last week, the fact that Israel designated six uh, Palestinian Authority NGOs or you know Arab NGOs as being uh, affiliates, really, of terror organizations. Sure. And this, not maybe surprisingly, or maybe to some, but this actually received criticism. The fact that Jews are building in Israel, the fact that we're fighting the war on, on terror on our front, that has started to receive criticism from the Biden administration. So unfortunately, it looks like it's moving in the wrong direction. But this would be, I mean, this would be the ultimate, I think, slight, um, more than anything else. You know, this is such a consensus issue, Jonathan. You know, from even Yitzhak Rabin, who made the biggest uh, concessions in attempts to make peace, which were obviously we see now they were a terrible mistake. But even Yitzhak Rabin was not willing to divide the city. It's such a consensus issue. I don't know if it's 90, 95 percent of the Israeli public would not be willing to divide this city where between 1949 and 1967, the Jordanians, they're the ones who illegally occupied the city and would shoot at Israelis near that border and destroyed all the synagogues in the old city after the war of 1948, Israel's war of independence. So do we want to go back to a situation where Jerusalem is under fire, where Jerusalem is endangered, where foreign entities are establishing their diplomatic presence in the city? Uh, I think not. Correct. So I'm glad you mentioned the, the, the array of biblical uh, founded pillars as far as connecting us. Uh, also, in, in preparing, I, I read something, and I, I've known this. It's a statistic. We just know because you're, we're involved in this. Jerusalem is mentioned over 600 times in the Bible, and in the Quran, none. And I'm not here right. to say 
that uh, we, we speak of a- Arabs and Muslims somewhat interchangeably. It's not a, they're not, for people following, they're not, a, that most, most Muslims in the area are Arabs, not all Ar- Arabs are, are necessarily Muslim. There are Christians and other Arabs, but, but the notion of uh, the fact that, it, that Jerusalem is not only not mentioned in the Quran, it's not a, it's not a holy location at all. They have their third holiest site here, um, but but even the name of that mosque, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, comes from the the notion that it's just the mosque that's in the periphery. It doesn't even have a proper name as it, as the ones in Mecca and Medina. And my point is not to undermine Islam or any Islamic or or Arab um, genuine connections here to the land, but just say there is a, uh, a, a, a we 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 use the phrase sometimes a moral equivalence. This is not a moral equivalence. It's an historical equivalence because of the fact that there are Arabs and Jews here, and therefore there has to be an equal uh, division or sharing. And and before when you said it, and I hadn't ever considered the word, but I, I want to get into it. We're both Americans. We obviously have our hands on the pulse of Israeli uh, uh, society, culture, and news because it affects our day-to-day life, but we're both proud Americans. Um, I know that we're... I, I want to talk about what some of the reasons why those tensions that you're speaking about generally, but specifically vis-a-vis Jerusalem, why it's coming up now. I read somewhere, I wish I could give credit, I don't remember where I read this, it's not my thought, but that that, that it's all on the back burner a little bit, although as you correctly observe, things are coming, uh, getting a little hot, that this is all on the back burner. As soon as Israel passes a budget, meaning that the government is able to hold together a consensus just for that, this strange government that has nine political parties from the far left to the far right and, and everything in between. It, it, would be, it will be an historic um, uh, act of, of domestic diplomacy just to pass the budget. So there's a sense that the U.S. isn't going to push too hard until that happens. But what else is happening? What do you think about that? And what else do you see that's happening in the U.S.? That now is, you know, at one side, Joe Biden campaigned and said he's not going to reverse the policy of recognizing Israel as the capital or moving the embassy back to Tel Aviv. But he also campaigned on the policy of restoring a, 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 a diplomatic office in Jerusalem for the Palestinian Authority. Why is this happening now? I just think in general, um, you know, and my dad says this a lot now that, uh, you know, and he's my dad father, the Holocaust survivor, and he's seen a lot through the years, both in American history and, and, and you know, modern Israeli history. He, he calls this uh, in uh, ma'pacha, the word in Hebrew, which means uh, a, um, things are, are, are out of sync, out of whack. There's a, I don't know, maybe you have the, the exact translation of the word ma'pacha from Hebrew to English. Um, just, just overall, just, just, we're just living in extremely unusual or crazy times, whether it's, you know, the pandemic or whether it's different things going on in the world, natural disasters, there's all different kinds of things like up is down, day is night. <laughs> all these different things are, are happening. It seems right now, um, at the same time all over the world. And this, this just adds to it, um, in terms of spe- specifically that, you know, the Biden administration, I mean, you know, who, who is, and maybe, maybe the listeners know, I mean, who is really calling the shots? Who is pulling the strings there within, within the U.S. administration in terms of decision-making? I mean, you see the president on, on 
television and you know you almost feel sorry for him it seems like he can't get out a sentence but there has to be somebody behind the scenes who are who are who are calling the shots and in, in regards to the embassy uh, unfortunately this is turning back the clock um to you know the Biden administration, the Clinton administration, whatever, whatever you want to, whatever you want to say in terms of when this all started, this latest round of craziness, this last, this last period of of of, of craziness. But um, I mean, it really is. It seems to be just you know an attempt to undo. Number one, specifically, it's you know the anti-Trumpers, people who hate right. Trump, even if the, the things that he did were positive, and of course, you know, recognizing the Golan Heights as being part of the state of Israel. And Jerusalem is the capital and saying that products in Judea and Samaria are actually made in Israel and all of these different things. It seems to be a, an attempt now to undo it, whether it's because they are so against Trump, you know, whether you like him or not. Again, the things he did for Israel, you know, I don't think you can take, take away from, from the things he did uh, for the state of Israel. So it, it just seems like we're living in this, as I said before, the word ma'apacha, which actually was used in 1977 when the right wing in Israel came into power, Menachem Begin became prime minister of the state of Israel in 1977. They called it that same term where things just completely changed. And, and, and I think we're, we've been heading down that path over the last couple of years where, again, day is night, night is day. Yeah. Uh, there's a moral, moral, uh, um, moral issues in terms of, you know, people's moral compasses and where they're pointing and right and wrong. And, and just things are up in the air on so many different issues. And you have this whole woke culture now, unfortunately taking, taking place. At least I see, you know, what's going on in America and, and in other countries, but it, it's just a, a crazy, crazy time and a crazy reality. But you know what, that being said, if those who know this, the history of the modern state of Israel, there's been so much craziness now, you know, we're, we're 73 years young in modern times. I mean, if you count the number of wars we've seen, if you count all the different things that have happened in this country, um, it's just another stage. So every, every part of the country has had its action, whether it's, you know, for good and for bad, but you know, if you're referring to, let's say the rockets being fired at Israel from Gaza in the South or the rockets being fired by Hezbollah up in the North, or the buses, unfortunately, back in 2000, blowing up in Jerusalem and in Netanya and, and uh, the hotel uh, park uh, massacre or cafes being blowing up. Unfortunately, there have been different fronts all over. And sure. right now, it looks like, once again, Jerusalem is becoming sure. uh, the hot topic for better or for worse. So which, I think which, that's which, where we are right now. Which is interesting because it doesn't have to. This is a choice that the Biden administration is making. I want to underscore something. I meant to say at the outset, there, there are a lot of non-Americans uh, who, who are following this podcast, um, and I hope haven't tuned out because we're speaking about um, domestic, Amer domestic American and, and Israeli-American diplomatic issues. But it's significant what the U.S. does and therefore why to have an, uh, an honest conversation about this because the potential trickle-down, which I want to get into. But that, th this, is a, this is a potentially precedent-setting thing on a very uh, on a very large scale, um, you, you you also mentioned the the the, the recent war, or, or I, I like to refer to it as a battle because I still think we're fighting the war of independence. It's just a battle on that war. But the one last May, the pretense for Hamas starting to fire rockets was our presence and occupation in Jerusalem. So it, you're right; it does keep coming back to Jerusalem. Um, talking about it as a domestic U.S. issue. 
uh, we're now in another midterm election year, uh, midterm, right? Yeah, we got mid, uh, midterm elections happening in a year for, for most of the U.S. Um, Congress and the Senate will be, will be at stake. And, and to what extent, Josh, do you think that there's any, uh, I, I don't know if I have a better word, and maybe it's the appropriate word, pandering in this to the extreme left of the Democratic Party, that this is to keep the Democrats united as we go into U.S. elections? Yeah, listen, that that definitely could be the case. And again, I don't know who's really pulling the strings behind the Biden administration, but you see that you had just several weeks ago, you had an initial vote on spending for Iron Dome, which is our defense system, anti-missile or anti-rocket defense system, which originally uh, was tacked on to a, a different bill, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. And it, didn't, it did not pass because that extreme wing of the Democratic Party, the squad as they're known, were against it, but eventually it passed uh, on an independent bill in terms of, of funding. But you know, for those few days where you know it looked like, and again, I don't, I wasn't too worried because I knew eventually it would pass. But when it looked like, at least on the surface, that there was a significant influence of the squad and their supporters from the extreme left, I wouldn't even call them left. I, I would call them just extreme radical. Uh, elements in the Democratic Party who were not willing to give Israel a defensive tool, Correct. which saves lives, both Arab lives and Jewish lives, saves Christian lives, saves everyone's lives here in Israel. It's gotten to a point where an issue like that, even though it didn't come to uh, to fruition, is actually making the headlines. So when something like that is actually in the headlines, you see that there is an influence there. And we'll have to see, you know, how people vote in these uh, in these midterms elections next year. Right. You know, right now, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, the Senate is 50 50. But the vice president would cast uh, a vote um, on any type of tie. And who knows Correct. what type of legislation would be proposed, which could harm the state of Israel. And then she would have to make her vote. And perhaps, you know, her vote would be a bipartisan vote to do the right thing, or I'm talking about uh, Kamala Harris, the vice president, who has that uh, tie-breaking vote. Then again, if an issue comes up, she could, in fact, vote on the side of the uh, radical extreme extremists in the Democratic side. So, um, you know, the midterm elections are huge. The the presidential elections coming up in another uh, two plus years, three years are, are also huge. At this point, you know, we're not sure who the candidate is going to be from the Republican party. No one knows if Donald Trump's going to run again. You have all of those. I can tell you firsthand, all the other uh, potential names and candidates are now preparing uh, for that election. You have uh, secretary, former secretary of, uh, of state Pompeo, who was just in Israel. He just came to Israel and Judea and Samaria. He visited Judea and Samaria a couple of weeks ago. You have Vice President Mike Pence, you have uh, Nikki Haley and Governor Ron DeSantis and Ted Cruz. All these people are jockeying now for position, um, I guess, assuming at this point that President Trump's not going to run again. So that could possibly be a crucial election when it comes to policymaking. Um, Again, first the midterms and then the the election in 2024. When it comes to you know, who knows? They might have to undo if Biden goes ahead. Let's say getting back to the original topic of the consulate. If Biden goes ahead and um, opens this consulate for Palestinian Authority, you might have to have 
you might have to pray at least that the new administration will come in and just see, <laughs> close it off once again well, um, because of the ramifications and the negative effects uh, that it has on Israel. It would certainly be a hot uh, um, campaign issue, um, perhaps not arguably, not with the immediate short-term negative impact of the withdrawal from Afghanistan, but as a foreign policy disaster with, with implications and trickle-down no less. You know, you mentioned the, the, the current, the, the Senate and, and it being tied. It was important, something I wanted to mention before and really has to be underscored now. Historically, people need to know that in 1995, when the, when, when the uh, what was it called? I wrote it down and I forgot the name. The actual name of the uh, U.S. law that was passed to move the embassy, the Jerusalem, I think it's called the Jerusalem Embassy Act, was, overwhel- was, was um, overwhelmingly bipartisan and a, 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 a huge a huge success. And now what we've seen is, I think if I remember correctly, 33 Republicans in the Senate have introduced a bill to prevent the U.S., working on the U.S. side, from, from doing so. And what's sad to me is that we're not seeing any bipartisanship in that yet. Right. Uh, that this is not, and, and, and maybe we're just in a different political, you, you, you touched upon that. Another theory, Josh, that's been tossed around as to why now is that the Biden administration seems wants to get back into some sort of formal anti-nuclear uh, agreement or nuclear agreement with, uh, with Iran. And whether that's going to happen or not, or, 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 and how good or bad that will or won't be, is not for the topic of conversation. But clearly, if it, if it goes that direction, the administration is going to want to pressure Israel on that, uh, something which, which I think is significant to Israelis, but uh, doesn't even come to me in the same global uh, global uh, uh, significance is the the U.S. Visa Waiver Act that Israel's now being considered that Israelis don't have to apply for a visa, wait online at the embassy for hours and hours or consulate to get it to get a um, to get a visa to come to the U.S. W- the, these are potentially carrots on sticks that the that the embassy might be dangling in you in front of Israel, with the sense that well we're going to raise the bar on the on the consulate thing so we can negotiate on something else. Our first prime minister David Ben Gurion, before he was prime minister, had this great phase phrase when uh, when the British were in control here, and they imposed a limit, what's called the white paper limiting the number of Jews who were allowed to come, fleeing Europe, fleeing for their lives. The imposed what was called the white paper limiting, if I'm not mistaken, to 15,000 people per year. Um, then if I'm wrong on that, someone's welcome to correct me. But he said, well, we're going to fight the white paper as, uh, as if there's no war, meaning the Second World War and the, the, the massacre of the Jewish people. And we're going to fight the war as if there's no white paper. How would you approach the Israeli government and say, okay, we, we, need, to, we need to be strong on Iran. Visa, visas for all Israelis to want to travel without having to wait in line would be a nice thing. There are other things that we can negotiate. But, but, but how not to sacrifice Jerusalem over something that's considered uh, existential vis-a-vis Iran? Right. Uh, listen, it, it, I can't speak for the Israeli government in terms of you know what they're going to do in ter- uh, regarding their policies, you know, with the United States. Again, let's remember the United States, you know, Israel's best friend, the best ally we've ever had. There's no right. doubt about that. And 
you know, I, I really think that it's going to have to be on an issue for issue basis. And I would be uh, extremely disappointed if this current government, which until now, uh, not, you know, both the Prime Minister Bennett, as, uh, along with uh, Minister Gideon Saar and uh, Minister uh, uh, Lapid, at this point, the, the foreign minister, have all said that they are against the opening of, of the consulate here. I, I would be extremely upset if they decided that they were going to go along with this carrot and sticks approach if the U.S., let's say, would say would propose, all right, we'll give you the visa way, visa exemptions, meaning Israelis can travel without a visa to the U.S., but on the other side, you're going to have to do something for us, and that's going to be uh, allowing us to open a consulate. I, I definitely would not make that trade. I mean, I think this this, this issue is, you know, maybe number number two, I would say, at this point after uh, the, uh, you mentioned Iran, the Iranian threat. Obviously, the Iranians potentially posing existential threat to the state of Israel if they are going nuclear. Our prime minister has said clearly that the uh, that Israel would, if necessary, would go at it alone against yeah. Iran if we don't have the support from the Biden administration. Uh, you know, I think he he posed it in a, uh, in a in a way that didn't sound like any type of you know threat of any kind. I think he was just stating the fact that. You know, we've Israel and the Jewish people, we've learned the hard way that we at the end of the day, we can only count on ourselves for our security, even with great allies and friends around the world. You know, that's why we have an army. That's why we have the IDF uh, to protect us, defend us and do whatever is necessary. We can go back to the bombing of the Iraqi nuclear reactor, or the Syrian huh. nuclear reactor, which Israel carried out. Um, and again, I don't know behind the scenes, but essentially on its own, because we saw the potential of an existential threat. Right. So if you're asking me personally, I would say number one is the Iranian issue. And my opinion is that the U.S. should not go back into this bad nuclear deal with Iran, because with the deal or without the deal, Iran is moving ahead towards nuclear weapons. Um, you know, the deal does not prevent, you know, Prime Minister Netanyahu said, whether you like Netanyahu or not, he said many times that even if they uphold the deal, Correct. Iran still is on the path of nuclear weapons. So that's definitely the top issue. Jerusalem, uh, I would say, is number two right now, but really, really up there. And I would not, if I was the prime minister, accept uh, the notion that, okay, you're going to do something for us in terms of visa uh, waivers or whatnot, and therefore you have to go ahead. So you have to be strong. This is, this is, this is the Middle East, folks. This is not, uh, with all due respect, this is not the U.S.-Canada relationship or the U.S. Uh, you or know, the Midwest. <laughs> or the Midwest. Right? This is not Indiana versus Illinois or anything like that. <laughs> so you have to be strong here. And again, I'm not comparing the United States to our neighbors here in the Middle East, but I'm no, saying in okay. general, on the whole, God forbid, I'm not making that comparison. I'm just saying that the general mentality has to be one of a Middle Eastern mentality. Because that is the mentality that our neighbors have surrounding us. Those, thank God, now we have good relations. We're starting with the Gulf countries, the UAE. Thanks again, another accomplishment of the of the past uh, Trump administration, the Abraham Accords. Good things happening with the UAE, with Bahrain, Morocco, other countries, or whatnot. But you still have those entities who want to seek, our, who are currently seek our destruction. Whether it's Iran, right. whether it's uh, the Iranian presence in Syria. Um, and, you know, what they're trying to do in terms of their fortification along our border on the Golan to set up these cells, terror cells, you have all this going on around us. So we have to stay strong. Um, 
And if the Biden administration isn't on board, as our prime minister said, then, then we're going to have to go at it alone. So we have to be strong on the Iranian issue. We have to be strong on Jerusalem. And we can go keep going down the line. In my opinion, we have to be strong on building Jewish kindergartens and nursery schools uh, throughout the, as you mentioned before, the our grandchildren yeah, in our neighborhoods. Absolutely. Yeah. The biblical historic, uh, biblical heartland of the state of Israel, which is yeah. Judea and Samaria. The stories you read in the Bible, they take place in Hebron. They take place in Bethel. They take place in, in Shechem or Nablus. These right. are the places where our, our uh, foundations began. With all due respect to Tel Aviv, which is actually the first Jewish city in modern times, built over 100 years ago. Um, you know, if you don't have the, I, I took a tour, or I led a tour actually with uh, Colonel Richard Kemp a yep. couple of years ago. He's a former head of uh, the UK British Armed Forces in Afghanistan. I took him on a tour with Richard Kemp. It was actually in the radio talk show host Mark Levin, who's sure. a very well known radio talk show host. And I took him up to a uh, Outlook Point. Not 1,000 meters above sea level, and we were exploring in the community of Neve Daniel, which is also in Gush Etzion, and I turned to the colonel, I said, even today's age with ballistic missiles and all the technologies or whatnot, you can see from up at that lookout point, and any of your, uh, any of your listeners who come to Israel, I'm happy, I'm sure you are, yeah. to take them to show them where you can see the beach, you can see the skyscrapers or the tall buildings in the town of Ashdod, 75% of the Israeli population live down in the coastal plain. I said to the colonel, you know, even in this age of modern warfare, how important is it to have the high ground? And he said, of course, it's still, it's basic, a basic principle in war. You right. control the high ground, you control what's going on down below, where in this case, where 75% Israeli population lives. So that's also an issue. God forbid Israel should decide to turn over any land to the Palestinian Authority, which we've seen in Gaza ultimately falls into the hands of Hamas, or could fall into the hands of any other extremist, sure. Islamic Jihad, ISIS, sure. or any of the other terror organizations. So we have to be strong on all fronts against Iran, Jerusalem issue, building in Judea and Samaria, all these issues, which I'm sure a lot of your uh, listeners are also very supportive of. Um, we got to stick to our guns. Correct. So from uh, the bottom it's line, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned, I know what you're talking about in the, the lookout in the Bay Danielle. I can probably see that from my bedroom window here in Efrat or in, in Efrat. Um, and I was with a friend yesterday who had seen videos I did in May during the war that was going on, where we were able to see, and I'm sure you were too, the rockets being fired from Gaza uh, that, that were being intercepted by the Iron Dome that the radical um, extremists in the, in, the, in the Congress don't want to fund to protect us and to protect them. That, that, that's a bit of a tangent. But the point I, I just wanted to add, it's not just the high ground. We're talking about a tremendously narrow piece of land. The fact that from my bedroom, I can see rockets being launched in Gaza and being taken mm -hmm. down midair is not even a function of high ground. It's simply a function of we're awfully close to that, to that place. Um, I wanted to, you know, Josh, this is going to be a biblical curveball. Um, maybe I've just coined a phrase. You, you, you did a masterful job of narrating a number of the uh, Torah portions, the, the chapters that we're reading in Genesis now at this stage with with so much emphasis on Jerusalem. Well, there's another great scene where Abraham is negotiating with God to, to save Sodom and Gomorrah, right? We, we, he, he's going to wipe them out legitimately because of the horrible, unethical, immoral behavior that's going on. And Abraham loses, right? In the end, they get, they get wiped out. But a few minutes ago, you were talking about Iran being number one. And I, and I don't know the answer, but I'm, I'm thrilled to throw the ball at you and see what you'll do with it. Um, 
what if what if the Biden administration says, look, Israel, we're probably not going to go in. If, if you need to take out Iran, Iranian nuclear uh, facilities, go do it. We're not going to stop you, but we're probably not going to join you. We'll even provide you 200 bunker buster bombs. But in place, in, in exchange for those 200 bunker busters, we want to ha- we want to have this building that we can service the Palestinian Authority and and, and uh, diplomatically in Jerusalem. What would you say to that? That's a tough call. I know, right? That, that's a very tough call because you know, on one hand, you're dealing with an existential threat, which is current and present, the Iranian threat, and on the other hand, you're dealing with a long-term threat, which is the Palestinian Authority uh, attempted takeover of Jerusalem. So that that would be an extremely tough call. Listen. Right now, you know, Israel behind the scenes, again, none of this can be confirmed. None of the I certainly can confirm it. I don't have the military intelligence or behind the scenes in terms of what Israel is doing now or what perhaps the United States even is doing now in terms of, uh, um, you know, whether it's cyber warfare or, yeah. uh, or, or you know, the mysterious uh, uh, death of Iranian nuclear scientists. So I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And I can't tell you if Israel 100%, I'm not a military strategist to a point where I could say without those 200 bunker buster bombs, you know, Israel cannot handle Iran. You know, maybe we are already handling, handling Iran in a different way. There was a mysterious, uh, 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 I think it was a, some sort of hack that took place just last week where they had fuel issues where yeah. Iran couldn't get their fuel. And I mean, Iran, Iran is blaming Israel for it. And I, obviously, I can't confirm that. I don't have enough uh, intelligence or whatnot. So again, you know, it, number one, it's a tough call if 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 you're put in that boat. But um, number two, I, I mean, I, I do think it's a bad precedent in terms of essentially being blackmailed. That will help you on one side, but you have to do something for us on the other side. I, I don't like that at all, and I hope that's not uh, the strategy of the U.S. administration. Who again. The United States, our greatest ally, you know, why should they put us in that situation? Not that we haven't been there before. I mean, Obama, the Obama administration definitely put us in that situation. I, I would hope it would not come down to that. And ultimately, the prime minister of the state of Israel is going to have to do what's, what's best for our security. If he feels that that, you know, taking out Iran is, is you know, to a point where the only way we're going to do it is if we make this deal and they'll have a let's say a consulate here with the hope that it's going to be shut down in two years because a new administration US will take over. Maybe he would be willing to make that deal. If it's a matter of, you know, life or death for millions and millions of people living in Israel. But again, I cannot say because I don't have enough information to know what's going on behind the scenes already today in terms of what Israel is potentially doing to thwart the Iranian nuclear effort. I'm not saying this, this may or may not be the same situation that we had with Iraq, where right. Israeli jets flew in and took out uh, a nuclear plant being built. It might be much more complicated than that. I just don't have the military uh, background or intelligence to know uh, what's going on behind the scenes. That's I'm, a great I'm answer, prob- Josh. Yeah, I'm hoping great, and praying for the best. <laughs> it's <laughs> a great sure. and, uh, and honest answer, and I think also underscores where there needs to be advocacy to the U.S. administration, what you just said. I hope and pray that the U.S., is not using that kind of leverage over Israel. So that's something that we need to ha- have our friends, particularly in America, uh, turn up the heat on, on the on the administration. I want to shift as we conclude. Um, I don't know that you and I have ever sat down and talked about what's the solution. How are we going to have peace and coexist here? 
in the land. And I don't want it, that's that's for, for another totally other conversation or multiple ones. But let's change the 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 point of view for for a moment. The Biden administration has returned to what was the prevalent and and default position of two states. And, and in fairness, we have to acknowledge that Israel from 1947 has has advocated more or less on and off for two states. And we've we've offered the Palestinian Authority multiple occasions now uh, opportunity to have their own state and and with vast territorial and other sorts of compromises. Let's assume that two states is the prevailing um, uh, formula and it's and that it's possible, okay? And, and, and I think setting that up, it's fair to say that we know, no, we, know we, we can neither advocate for that any more than we know about what Israel needs as far as militarily attacking the Iranians. But let's go with that. Now, now the U.S. administration wants to put a, a, a diplomatic consulate to the Palestinian Authority in Jerusalem, in the western part of Jerusalem, not even the eastern part of Jerusalem, where if you look at, a, two, so to speak, a two-state map, you would have the capital of a Palestinian state in the eastern part of Jerusalem. It's not even in the eastern part of Jerusalem. So can you think of any way that putting a, a diplomatic office in the western part and in central Jerusalem is somehow going to advance two states or bring peace even closer? No, absolutely not. I mean, you know, the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again, even though it fails. And that's exactly what this would be. This would be a reward for terrorism. It would be a re- reward for the years and years of the Palestinian Authority refusing to make peace with Israel. And you talk about a two-state solution. Not nah, Listen, I tell people this all the time. They ask me when I speak to groups, they ask me, you know, what what is your vision for a peaceful solution? Um, when it comes to the Jews and the Arabs, you know, the prevalent uh, policy until Trump has been more or less pushing for the two-state solution. So I always tell when I speak to especially young people, I say, forget about what the governments are saying. Forget about what the Israeli government is saying. Forget about what, you know, the Palestinian Authority is saying, at least publicly in terms of their desire for a two-state solution. Of course, they claim Jerusalem as their capital. Uh, now, by the way, they're not even saying East Jerusalem with this embassy. They're saying Jerusalem or this consulate. Yeah. They're right. saying the word Jerusalem. If you really want to know if there's going to be peace in this generation or the next, take a look at what is being taught in the schools. Take a look at what the kids in Israel are being taught in their schools versus what the kids under the Palestinian Authority are being taught. If you examine the books, which they are using in the Palestinian Authority, if you're examining the books which are being used uh, by UNRWA in the Palestinian, and that's a whole different topic, the Palestinian Authority schools, the books are be, that are being used are preaching hate and incitement against Jews, against the state of Israel. They're preaching war. They're preaching jihad and that these children should dedicate their lives towards advancing jihad and wiping out the state of Israel. So in other words, these kids from a very young age living under the PA, living under this entity are an especially, and of course, Hamas and Gaza, these kids are also being taught this stuff. They're being taught to hate. They're being taught that there's no re- reconciliation. Uh, as we long don't have as, any legitimacy here that the Jewish people are, are usurpers. No history. Yeah. No, no trace. I mean, I've, I've been on the Temple Mount myself. You can see the archaeologic, uh, archaeological findings which are being damaged or have been damaged by 
the Jordanian Waqf and their followers or whatnot, as long as the other side is preaching um, that Israel doesn't have a right to exist, the Jewish people have no historical basis to be here, uh, blood libels about Jews on the Temple Mount are storming the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which causes violence, and especially the school books and the media, of course, the way Israel is being portrayed and Jews in general being portrayed with, with such anti-Semitism that you know you haven't seen since 19, uh, the 1930s in, in Nazi Germany. As long as the other side continues on that path and the next generation is brought up to hate, there will not be peace here. I apologize. I'm sorry for that. I don't <laughs> want to end on a, on a pessimistic note. But whether you're a fan of a one state or a two state, which two state I actually believe is an existential threat to the state of Israel, putting a terror entity within the heartland of, of the state of Israel. We talked about, talked about that before from a security perspective, but one state, two state, whatever your belief is in, in the paths that the U.S. government, the world community, the European Union should take vis-a-vis Israel, which is what our own government should take, the steps that we should take when the other side preaches hatred. Uh, there, unfortunately, is no peaceful future. So don't even listen to the, what's going on in the Knesset if you don't want. Don't listen to what the PA is, is uh, spewing in their uh, you know, press releases or even the stuff that they say claiming they want peace if there's a Tuesday truth. Ignore all that and see what the kids are learning. See what the next generation is brought up with and see the difference between what the kids here in, in Jerusalem, the Jewish children in Jerusalem are learning about and throughout Israel versus what they're learning under Correct. the PA and what right. they're learning under Hamas, and then talk to me about uh, a peaceful solution. A solution, unfortunately, we're nowhere near that based well, on I, uh, on education. I, I want to point out not just how how uh, articulately and masterfully you've, you've we've had this dialogue and you've answered these questions, including the real curveball I threw at you, um, but how you masterfully just subliminally invited yourself to come back on the inspiration from Zion podcast <laughs> to talk about uh, some of those other issues, which I hope we will anytime. Uh, uh, you know, t- two more questions I have. Uh, also, going down that theme oh, again, we're gonna we're gonna play with our imagination for a little bit, and let's say that the two-state um, solution is the prevalent um, that, that there's a, that there's a possibility, regardless of the fact that the current generation, who are my grandchildren's age, are being educated and indoctrinated that we don't belong here. Let's let's go with the two states. Wouldn't it make more sense? For the United States to say we want to have a a, a, a consulate or a, or a diplomatic office for the Palestinian authorities in eastern Jerusalem, in Abu Dis, which is a neighborhood that people talk about being the capital. Uh, again, sort of like a, a total non sequitur to have a or, or a, gro- a gross slap in the face and offense to the state and people of Israel. I mean, what, it, doesn't that more fit with the formula, two state formula? That would make sense, or even more so, I think, a uh, some sort of consulate or diplomatic uh, mission in Ramallah. I mean, in that Ramallah. Is where That is where Mahmoud Abbas sits, even though he's on, what is he on, the 17th year of a four-year <laughs> term. So if you, you can argue about the legitimacy of Mahmoud Abbas and his regime and the cronies in the Palestinian Authority who are, uh, you know, living it up, embezzling, um, you know, millions and millions of dollars, putting it in their own bank accounts, um, and then blaming Israel for not doing enough for the Palestinians, whether right. it's in the, regarding the coronavirus or any other issue. Um, if the U.S. wanted to do so, why wouldn't you want to do it where their government sits in Ramallah? That would make the most sense to me. Well, if you're going to open a, such a structure, such a building, um, 
it would make sense to me to go uh, to Ramallah again. I, I don't, I don't understand really, you know, the, the necessity for it at all. Um, you know, if you go to the current embassy in Jerusalem, uh, in terms of the, the practicality and the services provided, whether it's the consular services or whatnot, uh, you know, you have Jews and Arabs who renew their passports there and take care of all that business there. But if and you're who really, work there and, and who it works there as yeah. armed guards there, armed guards. Yep. But if you really yep. want to, you know, if you insisting for some reason, if this is your obsession, infatuation to go ahead and open something separate for the PA, whether it's needed or not, then, you know, obviously Ramallah would make the most sense to be the most practical thing to do and not uh, three minutes away from uh, the old city of Jerusalem, five right. minutes away, uh, as you mentioned, from the great synagogue or, uh, you know, downtown central Jerusalem. It would make no right. sense. Good point. Uh, and by the way, uh, if I'm not mistaken, 39 countries have diplomatic offices. Maybe they even call them embassies to the Palestinian Authority in Ramallah, yeah. And I, ha- I should have n- pointed this out. A lot of people, it's really hard doing these things virtually. Um, podcasts are great, um, but there are no visuals involved. For people familiar with Jerusalem, they understand where I'm sitting at the entrance to Jerusalem, where you're sitting uh, a two-minute walk from the, from the old city and, and, and where all these things are. But sitting on the 21st floor at the Vert Hotel in the executive lounge, I not only see where you are, I look a little bit to the left, and I can see Ramallah. It's that close. So, yeah. so people thinking that it's, you know, we're talking about separate entities that are vast miles apart. We're not, that's not the case. In fact, you have to come, we've never been to my house here since we moved in January, but we, we're now on the eighth floor, uh, seventh floor of, um, of a new apartment building. We are during, the, during a clear day. I can not only see the skyline of Jerusalem ahead of me, but I see the skyline of Amman, Jordan. It's probably the only place in the world where you can see two capitals in one view, which is fascinating. Um, Josh, this has been wide ranging and great Um, on the issue, on the topic. What would you, maybe one last question. You're a great writer. You're a great advocate. What would you tell someone who's listening now, whether they're in Israel or probably more likely overseas, as far as what's, what's what's an advocacy? What can people do other than being really frustrated right now? Right. Well, in today's day and age, um, a lot of the things people can can do can be done from their cell phones, from the convenience of their laptops and computers, whether it's uh, advocating for Israel on social media, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or some of the other social media um, platforms in which you can use your influence and your followers to stand up for Israel. If you see something you don't like, Talk about it, post about it, retweet, share, get other people involved, explain the truth, share the truth, share those realities. Yeah. Um, you know, use those tools to your advantage. And if you're specifically in the United States, um, you have a system where you have direct representation in Washington who represent you where you live, whether it's in Indianapolis, Indiana, or anywhere else in the U.S., you have a system where you elect your representatives. And you can call them up and say, this is my stance on this issue. Or here is a petition with a thousand of, people, of the people in your district who vote for you. This is how we feel. Let your yes. local elected officials who are sitting in Washington, let them know your stance on these issues. Um, let them know that if they want to you know, be reelected in 2022, 
um, that this is the position they should take because it yeah. represents their constituency. So there are a lot of things that you can do practically. Uh, pray for Israel. You know, we could use all the prayers we can Absolutely. get. That's another thing people can do. Um, definitely a very, very important. Pray for us. Stand up for Israel on social media. Awesome. Go on the uh, go on the offensive. You don't always have to be reactionary. You don't always respond. Get your truth out about Israel without having to read some of the lies and slander which take place 24 hours a day on social media. I'm thinking about Twitter in particular. People make up stories about Israel. Um, get yourself educated as well. That's it. That's it. Education is, is key. Understand the issue so that you are armed with the facts, with the truth, when you are going up against those who are spreading libels and lies uh, about Israel, about Jerusalem, about the Temple Mount, whatever it is, make sure you are prepared to respond. Um, I think a combination of all those things are practical steps that you can take from wherever you are in the world. Um, and, uh, and hopefully you'll succeed. Hopefully you'll Great succeed. Stuff. And if, you're not, if you don't necessarily succeed, try, try again. But just know that you have done something. I mean, doing, just making that attempt, trying, is so so crucial uh, for yourselves and for us here in Israel. Great, Josh. That's a that's a great uh, overview. And and uh, uh, typically, I will do a shameless plug that people should share the podcast um, because it's what you do. But on the other hand, what we try to do with the inspiration from Zion is share things that are meaningful that people can engage. And in this case, there's a there's a uh, again using the baseball analogy, not just an opportunity to connect, but follow through to do something. And you've laid out a lot of them, uh, e- even to the point, I would, I would make the case that there are no shortage of, uh, of, of elected representatives in the United States who simply don't know what the issues are. And not as a matter of being a shameless plug for this conversation and podcast, but share this podcast, because I think we've, you, you've helped to really cast a, a, an important light on what the issues are that people should be aware of. So I want to thank you. I want to thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, before we wrap up for, for joining us and, and definitely look forward to an opportunity to have you back as much as you were on the short list. I'm keeping you on the short list and, and we'll look forward uh, to having you back. Let me wrap up uh, before we say goodbye with a couple of other announcements and thank yous. So as Josh suggested, there are a lot of things you can do to help prevent the U.S. from opening a consulate in Jerusalem. We do need to appeal to the United States government that this is a wrong concept and a decision that should never, ever be taken, much less considered as it is. Uh, Please refer to the notes here in the uh, podcast, and you can find a link to the petition that we're inviting everyone to sign and share widely to prevent this from happening. We're also grateful that this podcast is sponsored by our friends at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. If you're in the area and need something that a greenhouse has, please pop in and get it for them. Or if you don't need anything, just go in and say hi and thank them for helping make this program possible and sharing all the great content. Also, special thanks to the Coin family for their meaningful sponsorship and friendship. Inspiration from Zion and all the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider joining us to help continue the dialogue and to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel. If you'd like to sponsor a future episode in honor or memory of a loved one or for a special occasion, please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com or at our website, genesis123.co. That's genesis 123.co. We'd love to hear your comments as part of an ongoing dialogue and invite you to send any questions about anything at any time 
especially questions you have about Judaism for our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please do share this with others who will find it of interest and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversations about unique topics related to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are all safe and healthy and send my blessings from right here in Jerusalem. May God bless you. Hallelujah.